today. I love the book of Joshua. What a great, great storyline. And what a great ministry this man had. I want you to stand for the reading of the word of the Lord with me. In verse number 12, this is the story of what Rahab did in her life to change her future. And this is an amazing revelation of truth. What a great character in Scripture. And verse number 12, and she's speaking. She said, Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house, and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered, the men that were answering two spies, the men answered her, our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours. In other words, don't rat us out. And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Wow. Father, thank you for the truth. Holy Spirit, we need illumination. We need you to reveal to us and help us to discover those truths that apply to each of us. We live in an untoward world. I mean, it is really messed up. Diametrically opposed at times to the principles of your word. But we claim our families back. We take back what the adversary has stolen. We receive everything back with interest in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. There was a hillbilly standing before a judge. And the judge was looking over his record. And he said, so your name is Joshua? He responded, yes, sir. And the judge asked, like the Joshua who made the sun stand still? He said, no, I'm the Joshua who made the moon shine. <laughs> you know, like the guy on Discovery Channel. Right? <laughs> yeah. Verse number 15, same book, same chapter. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall, and she dwelt on the wall. That's where her house was. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, let the pursuers meet, lest the pursuers meet you. In other words, they catch up with you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear. Unless, when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord or rope in the window. Okay? So she was to take and bind a piece of scarlet rope out of her window. And bind it there. <clears throat> so again, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. Unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. Unless you do those things. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. And we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. In other words, we're guaranteeing you. You'll be untouched if they stay in the house. 
Now, what an application this story has for us and our families today. This affects us in several ways, and three in particular. The only thing standing between our families and the destruction in our world is the blood of Jesus Christ. And I think you need to get that clearly understood. The scarlet rope. And when destruction arrived, listen, when Rahab's home stood in the path of wrath because there was a scarlet rope over her home, everyone under her roof was preserved. And I was thinking, you know, the greatest threat to our families is not coming out of Sacramento or Washington, D.C. And I hear all the pundits and the ranting on the radio and on television. And certainly we need to be praying and we have to posture ourselves to vote our convictions, vote the Bible. We need to be taking a very firm stand in challenging any politician who dares violate our Constitution. It's not about party anymore. It's about America. We stand with the Word of God and our founders who also stood on the Word of God. But there's nothing that Sacramento or Washington, D.C. has done that can affect my family. The greatest danger to my family doesn't come from Sacramento or Washington or Hollywood. The greatest danger to my home and your home is what goes on in our homes. Hollywood cannot invade my home. I have to invite them in. Filth and corruption and anything going on in the culture cannot invade my home unless I invite it into my home. So the greatest threat, it's not what they're doing, it's what we do in our homes. The greatest battle raging today in America is over our spiritual legacy, our families. And let me tell you what, it is an all-out fight. A fight for our families and fight for our legacies. When we stand and talk about our family, listen, 46 years we've been married. People look at you like you're an alien, right? Well, weird. Have you been long married to one person for all those years? Absolutely. I've lived long enough to look around. Mm -mm, I'm not trading her in for the alternatives. I promise you that. The scripture says we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And people cannot believe you can raise a Christian family who are followers of Jesus, because everybody calls themselves a Christian in America, but true followers of Jesus, where you love God, serve God, as generations did before us. Last Sunday, you saw that on our platform, when you saw Pastor Martin dedicate his great-grandson, and you saw generations of legacy of Christian faith from one generation to the next. Yeah, and all the generations can be, should be, and need to be first chair Christians where I decide for myself to embrace the God of my fathers. Our marriages are worth the fight, and our children are worth the fight. So fight the good fight, because you're in a fight today, and it's worth it for the spiritual legacy of our families. Setting of my story is in the city of Jericho. It was an impregnable city. It's walls so high and wide that chariots would race along top, on the top side of it side by side, for entertainment. And God instructed Joshua, Jericho was to be the very first city he was to take out as Israel entered the Promised Land. So Joshua sent in two spies to recon the city in advance. And they attempted to remain unnoticed. 
But one of Jericho's NSA members noticed there were two strangers walking around in their city. And they reported it to the king, kind of like what they're doing to you now. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the report was that the two spies from Israel had slipped into the house of Rahab the harlot. So imperial stormtroopers were sent to arrest and apprehend the two Israeli spies. And when they arrived at the house of Rahab, the word tells us that she hid the two spies on the roof in the stalks of flax. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them within the stalks of the flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So she covered the spies in the material that was on the roof and used as well as in the construction of the roof. And when the troopers searched the house, they could not find the two spies. So as they searched, she made up a story and she said, you know, they were here, but they went out of the gate when the gate was closing. But if you hurry up, you might catch them. So the troopers quickly, hastily departed in hopes that they might catch these two spies. And they go look for them. And as the spies are out of their hiding place now, and they come out to talk to Rahab because she's going to assist them to get out of the house because they've been up hiding on the roof. So she takes them to a window in the house that was on the wall, and they're about to exit the house out of the window using a red rope. <clears throat> and as they get ready to descend the rope, she strikes a deal with the two Israelis. She says, I request something of you for my protection of your lives. Now, she could have asked them for gold because Israel had plundered all the wealth of Egypt when they left. And they were very wealthy, and they had all this gold available to them. And she could have said, I want some of that for, for what I've done for you. She could have asked for a large estate because, I mean, Israel was about to take the whole promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And she could have said, I want that big parcel over there for myself. She could have been set for life, but she only asked for one thing, and this is what she said. The one thing I'm asking for you, I want my family to be saved from destruction. That you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. Spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. More than I want gold or an estate, more than anything you have to offer, this woman, Rahab the harlot, she had a love for her family. And she says, of all the things I could ask for, the most important thing that I want is that my family is saved. What a powerful word. Wow. So Rahab takes a scarlet rope, thick enough to carry the weight of two spies. She drops it out of the window, facing the outside of the walls of Jericho. And the two spies rappel down the rope safely. They're carried out of the city. Now notice the response to Rahab's request. Notice the orders of instruction they give her. Very specific. In verse 18, bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. Bind it. Make sure it is not ever moved. And then he said, they said, bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. Get them all under your roof. And thirdly, whoever is with you in the house, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. In other words, we're guaranteeing those in the house with you will be saved. <clears throat> and everybody here should claim this today. Make it your confession. All my family will be saved. That ought to bring joy and peace to your spirit. All of your family, children, siblings, grandchildren, 30 years from now, the blood rope 
that was woven its way through those generations, roped in your children and my children and their children's children. Therefore, know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Qualifier. Love Him and keep His commandments. He will honor your prayers for your lineage. All of your family shall be saved. Say, I shall not lose one of them. Let me give you three lessons from this story real quickly. Get excited over this point, would you? Telling you in advance so some of you can wake up and be excited early. Lesson number one, your family can be saved no matter your background. Okay? Does anybody here need for me to remind you of your background? Your family can be saved regardless of your background. She was a harlot. She was morally unfit, socially bankrupt. She was not running a Ritz-Carlton on the side of the wall. She was overseeing a brothel. She was a prostitute. And God didn't say to her, hey, I'm sorry. You asked me to save your family. You got so much baggage. There's no way I'm ever going to do that for you. But hear what God says to her. I know you have baggage. But come into my family, daughter. I know you've got a past, but if you'll get hold of this scarlet rope, which represents the blood of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter your background. How badly you messed up. I can still save you and your children. And some people walk around today with so much guilt. Some of you've got so much shame. You've accepted the fact that I'm reaping what I've sowed. I've lived this way in my children now, and my children's children are going to have to pay for all the sins that I've committed. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That's not biblical. When you encounter the blood of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice causes you to become a new creation in Christ. Your family can be saved regardless of your background. And God honors the cry of Rahab's heart in spite of her background and saved her whole family. No matter what road you traveled... Once you arrive at Calvary, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now watch. There's nothing in your past stronger than the blood of Jesus Christ. How dare the devil suggest that anything in your past is more powerful than the blood and the mercy that Jesus has shed Not only in your heart, but on that cross. The blood of Jesus is more powerful. But pastor, you just don't know what I've done. Let's say we could put up on the screen everything you've ever done. Everything you've ever said. Everything you've ever thought. Everything. If we could just project all of that up onto that screen. And then we all get to sit here and watch it. Wow. There would be people responding saying, I didn't know he, she did that. Did you know that he or she did that? You'd be elbowing each other. You'd say, keep my child away from him. Keep my wife away from him. Keep your husband away from her. It could be any of us. Look at you. You think you're holy sitting there, puffed up. Okay. Listen, if we played everything, everything, I didn't know he or she did that. And God would say, I don't remember that. 
All I know is that that person came to the altar of repentance, and that person asked for forgiveness, and I washed him or her in my blood, the blood of my son, and they have no past any longer. Hmm. Your family can be saved regardless of your background. That's my testimony. That's your testimony. The devil cannot reach into your past and condemn you saying your children will be lost because you were into drugs. No, you are a new creation in Christ. Well, the Old Testament tabernacle held the Ark of the Covenant. It was one of the pieces of furniture in the Ark. In that holy box, there were three items, a pot of manna, some of the angels' food, the food that God prepared for Israel, was, and, they, and he fed to Israel for 40 years in the wilderness, was placed in a pot, and that pot was placed in the Ark of the Covenant. Then they took Aaron's staff that he carried with him. Usually on it were markings of his life's very, very important issues and times and events. And it budded and actually bore some almonds. An old dead stick supernaturally began to blossom, and they took that, and they put that in the Ark of the Covenant. They also took the tablets of stone on which the Ten Commandments were written by God's own finger, and those were placed in the Ark of the Covenant. Then they took the lid of the ark, called the mercy seat, and covered those items in the God box. On the lid, the mercy seat, they took the blood and sprinkled it seven times. Some have looked at this picture and thought, well, this is God's museum piece. I mean, they even made a movie about this, like you could go find the ark, right? And you could, you could look at the ark and see God's faithfulness in times past. If it was to be a testimony... Listen, very few people ever got near that testimony because the ark was kept in the Holy of Holies and only one man on one day in the entire year got to go into where the ark was kept. No one else could get near the ark of the covenant. Okay, It was inaccessible to everybody else. No one could just walk in and say, I want to see the ark of the covenant today. Uh-uh. <laughs> so why did God place a mercy seat on the top of the ark and cover that with his blood? Because all three of those items had... It's their roots in the worst evils of Israel. And the only reason the tablets of stone containing the Ten Commandments that were broken were placed in the ark, when Moses comes down off of the mountain from the presence of God, the children of Israel are dancing and worshiping at a golden calf idol. Whoa! So Moses takes the Ten Commandments and throws the tablets to the ground, and they break. And those broken tablets are in the ark. They were rooted in the failures of Israel to keep the commandments of God. The only reason the dead staff of Aaron had come alive and blossomed, listen, was because of Korah and his followers. They rose up and attempted a coup of Moses and Aaron's leadership. So they rebel against their God-appointed leadership, and God said, I'm going to show you who my leader is. So God instructs one representative from each of the 12 tribes, their leaders, to bring their dead staff and for Aaron to bring his dead staff together And God says, the one that comes alive, that's the one will be my leader. And the reason Aaron's staff that budded, produced ripe almonds, was placed in the ark, it was representative of the rebellion of God's people against God's leadership. And God slew 15,000 of the rebels and Korah, boom, at once. So the only reason the pot of manna was in the ark, Israel complained and murmured to God about their food. We don't like your food. 
But God sent them the same diet for 40 years. And they complained about God's cooking. Wow. Angel food. And, and it was in the ark because all three of these items were deeply rooted in the failures of Israel. And God took Israel's worst failures, took mercy, placed it on top of them, because mercy is always over the law. Then he covered it with blood. And one time the ark was captured by the Philistines, and they decided they would lift the mercy seat and the blood and reach in and look at the past failures of Israel. And when they did, 50,000 of them were slain on the spot. God said, don't you ever, when I place something under the mercy and the blood of God, don't you allow anyone to lift the lid and try to dig out what I covered you by my mercy and by my blood. Are you hearing this? Don't you let the enemy tell you he has a right to your family. If it's under the blood, he cannot remove the mercy seat. So my family is under the blood. My children are under the mercy seat of God. Say, my children are under the mercy of God. And thank him your past is covered. Aren't you blessed that your past can't curse your children because the mercy and the blood have covered it. Now, perhaps your dad was an alcoholic. Your children are not going to be. Perhaps you had an addiction. Your children will not because today the blood of Jesus Christ reaches beyond your background to save and set free. So they said to Rahab, if your family will be saved, there's going to be work involved on your part. Really? Work? Mm-hmm. Take the rope and bind it in the window. They didn't say to her, it's your pastor's job to come and preach and save your families. They didn't say, if you want your children saved, it's the student ministry's pastor's responsibility to bring them to Jesus. Or the children's pastor or the junior high pastor. It's his job Listen, to bind the scarlet rope in the window. No, they didn't say that. They said, if you want your family saved, you better get involved. Because it's your, you're the first line responsibility person for your children's eternal destination. It lies in you. And this is not a game. This is heaven or hell. Lesson number two. You must take responsibility for your family. If you want your family to go to heaven, you must get involved. This is not, well, I'm just going to sit back and watch what happens. I brought these kids into the world. Now, let's see what happens to them. You are in a big mess when you go to stand before God and give an account for the stewardship of the children he allowed in your care. You have to do something about it. You take the scarlet rope and you bind it to the window. You place it there. And praying, you call the names of your children before the Lord. The same for your fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. You call their names. You fast and pray for your family. You get a burden for their eternal soul. You place the rope there, Dad. You place the rope there, Mom. And you make sure it's bound there. And you believe God for your family. You do something. You get up every day and you're sure the scarlet rope is there. Do you comprehend that if that scarlet rope was not there, the family of Rahab would have all been destroyed? Because when all the dust settled, 
There was no one alive left in Jericho except the family of Rahab. If something was that important, and it was, no doubt when she went to sleep at night, she went and checked the rope. I'm sure the first thing she did when she got out of bed in the morning, she went to the window to check to see if the scarlet rope was still there. Have I got the blood on my family? Have I got the blood on my house? Am I protected? If the Israelis come today, will my family be saved? Because without the blood, you cannot overcome the culture we're in. Because it is a culture of death. Everything is passing away, John said in his epistle. The world and everything in it is dying. It's a culture of death. But if you have the blood, no matter what's going on out there, you will have the victory in here. As long as you have the blood, you've got victory. So you check it and you recheck it every day, every morning, every night, checking up to see your family is safe. Be very sure that the rope is in place. You daily pray for them. You daily call their names. You bind it. They didn't say scotch tape it. You've got to nail some things down. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other way in but Jesus. And you've got to assure that rope is available to your family. You must be born again. You have to nail that truth into their spirits. So no wind of false doctrine can blow that truth out of their hearts or blow them off off course or pull them into some cult-like doctrinal position. We've watched some young adults in our own church get swept up in the resurrection. It's nothing new. It's the resurrection of a very false, extreme doctrine. Listen to me. If you have bound the truth, mom and dad, into your children, and you have taught it until they comprehend it, until it's in them, in them, in them, no wind of false doctrine can take them out and hear it. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But when you have bound it like you're supposed to, no boyfriend can take it away from them. No girlfriend. No cultish extreme teacher, no beer party at college, no college professor can remove it from them because it's bound in them, not just scotch taped. And wherever they are, in a classroom, on a college campus, with their so-called friends, there's a rope tied to them. Even in a hostile environment, listen, their family hasn't scotch taped it. Listen, they bound that truth into their spirits. Buy the truth, purchase it, and do not sell it, the wise man said. Bind the truth to them. And here's how. I read it to you at the baby dedication. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. It's your responsibility. Talk about them when you are at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as a reminder. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That everywhere they turn, 
They've got the rope attached to them. Talk about it. Talk about it. Talk about it. You're binding it. You have to nail some things down. Because your children are growing up in front of your eyes. And before you know it, they're out. And they're on their own. And they're off to college. They're in a career. And you have a responsibility to nail this to them until they cannot escape it. You nail it to them. And you can only keep them for so many years. And then they're off. But in the process, you nail it down. And it's not theory. This is not, well, where'd that come from? Listen, this is God's word to you as a parent. They may attempt to get away from it. And for some time, they may escape seemingly that red rope. But thank God, the rope holds. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Say, my family shall be saved. That's worth more than millions of dollars in the bank. That I have a rope on my family because Jesus saves your family and he saves your children and he saves your children's children. Well, I don't believe the church is necessary, Pastor. Yeah, you will once they get out from you and you fail to nail them down with the rope, hmm? I promise you, you'll start believing in church then. And wish to God you have brought them yourself and worship the Lord together with them. I don't believe in tithing, you know, I really don't. Your choice, your family's eternal destiny is at stake. And I can show you where God paid attention to a man in the scripture who paid his tithes and honored God and prayed to a God he did not know as well and did not even yet know who he was and God heard that man's prayer. In Caesarea was a man called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. And listen, he gave alms generously and prayed to God and didn't know who the God was, but he prayed, said, if you're there, would you hear me? And gave, and he gave. Listen, he was, an, he was a giving person. And an angel of the Lord was sent to him. And here's what the angel said to this guy. Your prayers and your giving have come up for a memorial before God. God watched your generous heart, and God listened to your prayers. And listen, he said, I'm going to send to your house the one and only Peter the Apostle who preached on the day of Pentecost, and he came to that man's house and preached the gospel of Jesus to that house of people who did not know who God was and commanded them to be baptized, as all in Acts chapter 10, in the name of the Lord. And that whole family gave their lives to Jesus Christ because somebody in that house put a nail in the board and said, I'm not budging until I get an answer. Okay. With diligence, Rahab made sure that the rope was nailed. And so many are so laid back about this in our culture, even in the church. Pastor, you're kind of intense. Yeah, I am. Because I carry a burden around with me every day. It doesn't go away when I go to sleep, and it doesn't go away when I get up. It's still there, and it's a heavy one. And it makes me very passionate because it constantly is there. That has to be fulfilled. It has to be done. See, I just want my family in heaven. I'm not intense. I've got a burden to be sure that the family is in heaven. 
So you all need to stop feeling sorry for your children. They're blessed more than any children in the world. They are the most blessed children ever to be raised on planet Earth. Well, pastor, I don't want to restrict them because they'll never have any fun and they won't have a life. Listen to me. We are not robbing our children. Do you know what they're going to miss? They will miss being heartbroken. They will miss being hooked on drugs. They will miss going to rehab. They will miss contracting STDs. They will miss heartaches. They will miss a divorce. They're really missing out. They will miss being drunk and puking their brains out. They're going to miss leaving a piece of their heart with somebody they never really loved. But instead, they're going to find the plan of God. They'll find their purpose in life. They'll find eternal life. They'll find heaven as their home. They'll find Jesus as their Savior. That's what they're going to find. Don't tell me I'm robbing my children and they're missing out. She just wants to go to the party, Pastor. You know, they might smoke a little bit of pot. A couple of states have already, you know, said it's okay. And president didn't make a big deal out of it. Listen to me. That's a gateway drug. Well, I don't want her to be deprived. No, you nail it. You nail it. You sound like a dictator, Pastor. No, I am a biblical father. And that's what biblical fathers do. It's the dad who goes with his daughter and says to her, girl, looking her over, "Mm -mm. we're going back to the wardrobe closet, and we're going to try this again, because this doesn't quite pass muster. Any man can father a child. But dad, when you've said, turn the station, we're not watching that in her house. That's not coming in here. Bind the rope. What did that rapper, what was he saying on that iPod song you were listening to on your playlist? Listen, Calvary Christian Center, we're talking about eternity. The souls of our family, they're going to heaven or they're going to hell. This is life and death. How important is this rope to your family? Bind it. It will require effort on your part. And you're going to have to pray and you're going to have to fast and you're going to have to stand even when the culture looks at you and says, you're out of it, man. You cannot allow any of that to intimidate you when you stand on God's word. Because you're going to answer to God for how you nailed that rope in that window of your house. Number three, the scarlet rope opened access to that home. Once the rope was there, they didn't use that window for anything else. Because they knew when judgment came to Jericho, if that rope was not seen, they were going to die like everybody else in that city. They would not escape. So I believe that Rahab had some new house rules. And they were very clear. Kids used to climb in and out of that window. You could go randomly anywhere you wanted to go. Mm, Never again are you going to climb through this window. Things will not go through this window anymore. Off limits for anything else other than this rope. And once Rahab placed the scarlet rope in that window, it dictated what had access to their home. So I'm going to say, you stand your ground and you guard the windows of your home. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. What windows are open in your home? 
What kind of windows have access to your family members? Online, posting pictures of any kind without any scrutiny? Cell phones that have no accountability? What's coming into your home? See, satellite television? Guard your home. Because nothing out there can destroy your home, but if you invite it in through any of those means. Now, for instance, let me ask you. Those of you that want to go to heaven, raise your hand. Anybody? Not, not, is there anybody here that doesn't want to go to heaven? Because you need help. <laughs> what if I said, students, if you want to go to heaven, bring me your cell phone. And I had you come and lay those cell phones on the altar. And then I said to your parents, come on over and look at your child's cell phone. Hmm. I knew it'd get quiet. Well, Pastor, what about privacy? I mean, what about my privacy? I'm 15. I should have privacy. In my home, you get privacy when you have the mortgage note. Okay? Then you've earned privacy. When you live in my house under my scarlet rope, no things that are there that I cannot have access to coming into my house. Whatever comes into my house, I'm the guardian. I get to scrutinize it. No locked doors in my house. I'm talking about saving your family. They don't know what's right in every decision that they make. That's why you're the parent and they're the child. That's why you're the adult, and, and they're not quite yet an adult. They don't comprehend the ramifications of bad choices that they make based on emotions of the moment and what the consequences can be for years to come. But one day, when you've raised them with a scarlet rope in their life, they come back and they say, thank you. Thank you for tying that rope to me. Thank you. You did not just become my friend. You became my parent. You actually raised me properly. Now, why can I do that? Because she can take my phone and examine it anytime she desires. Because I'm guarding the window. So what are you hiding? If nothing, no problem, right? But be sure... You guard the window where the rope is. Now, Rahab worked this red rope so well that she and her family were the only ones that made it out of Jericho alive. Everyone else perished. But she and her family made it out alive. And when that family emerged from that house on the wall in Jericho, they traveled down the corridors of future history and landed in Matthew chapter number 1, okay, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, regardless of her background, because she bound a scarlet rope in her window, and she guarded access to her home. She became a part of the lineage of Jesus the Christ, the great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus himself. 
because that rope was placed in the window of her house that day. Wow. Now, the secret was simple. Get them all under your roof. When we come in, those that are under your roof, safe. But they get to make a choice because some of them are legal adults. And they can go wandering outside your house. They don't want to stay there under your description of how it's going to have to work in order to be saved. And they have a choice. They can go wandering. And the spies warned them, if they do decide to go out from under the roof, we'll take no responsibility for what happens to them because they will perish with everybody else. But if they choose to stay under the roof with that red rope, we will die before they will. We guarantee they're going to be okay. Wow. So stand and lift your hands. Thank God for his word to you.